Defining moment spotlights a particular moment, incident, or case that either led the writer to a career in physical therapy or confirmed why he or she chose to become a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant. The following essay, titled Growing Pains, is read by its author, Shauna Prasad, PT, DPT. She is employed at Samaritan Lebanon Community Hospital in Lebanon, Oregon. This is a story about pain, physical, psychological, emotional, and ultimately transformative pain. Today, as I type this condensed account of my professional and personal journey, I feel that my life is in a very good place. I'm involved in a variety of activities as a physical therapist that help empower people to live their best life. I'm in no physical pain myself, and I'm at peace with who I am. Just a few years ago, however, I found myself at a professional and personal nether. Something happened to me that I hadn't seen coming. It was incredibly painful. It made me, at least for a time, relive all of my insecurity. It made me feel like an imposter masquerading as the expert in body science I had held myself out to be. But this dark time also, as it turned out, was the best thing that could have happened to me. It propelled me towards the life I'm living now. I grew up in India. My father wanted me to be a homemaker and got me admitted to a college for home economics. But I wanted a career. When my father left to work abroad, I took advantage of his absence to reroute myself to a college for physical therapy. It was an occupation about which I knew very little, but it seemed to be populated by good people who liked what they did. In 1988, I moved to New York City. I worked at an acute care hospital and in three years rose from staff PT to an acting director role. I also pursued a master's degree in physical therapy at NYU, New York University. I completed all the coursework but never wrote my thesis. My life was busy, but I'd already gained all that extra knowledge. What did I need with an advanced degree? I got married, lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for a time, then moved to Oregon. I worked in a variety of practice settings over the next quarter century, inpatient rehab, skilled nursing, outpatient, home health, pelvic flow therapy. I had a happy, fulfilled, and balanced work and personal life. By about 2013, however, I was starting to experience significant low back pain. It wasn't the first time in my adult life that I'd been plagued by pain. In my early years in New York, I had severe neck pain, but was diagnosed with a C5-6 disc herniation and was told by a physician that I risked being paralyzed 
if I didn't get surgery. Instead, I trained with the McKenzie method. I was able to eliminate my symptoms with the exercises that were taught to me. It helped me tremendously. I thought, this is the way to treat all of my patients. When it came to my back situation a few years ago, however, the pain persisted. None of my McKinsey techniques helped. I spoke with Dr. Kevin Kukaro, a physician and pain specialist. I respected him, but I thought, frankly, that some of his ideas about what pain is and how best to address it were a little out there. He ran contrary to my training, my biomechanical thinking, and what I thought and I knew. Also, he was not a PT. He was a physician. He didn't understand what we did as physical therapists. But then, at APTS combined section meeting in 2016, I heard those same concepts being persuasively presented by a PT named Adrian Lau, who talked about pain being protective rather than manifesting damage. He spoke of the need to address fear and to avoid catastrophizing. He associated psychosocial factors such as stress and anxiety in one's life with poor clinical outcomes in pain management. Something clicked in me. It all made perfect sense. I'd been having a lot of issues at home with my three teenage kids. Because I felt unable to control my own pain, I had started to wonder how much I really was helping my patients. Professional burnout was setting in. If everything I'd heard from Kevin Kukaro and Adrian Lau was right, no wonder my pain was persisting. I decided that I would put this new understanding to work in my clinical practice by making a point of asking patients questions that might unearth stresses in their life. And I would listen closely to what they said. As it happened, my very first patient after CSM, a woman who I would see just once, while subbing for another PT, answered my simple request to tell me your story with the cheerful account of her son's suicide 20 years earlier. It turned out that the next day was his birthday. She and I hugged goodbye that day. Over the next six months, I spent as much time as I could immersing myself in neuroscience articles on pain and devouring books such as Laura Mosley's Explain Pain. While I didn't feel that I was fundamentally altering my clinical approach, I was listening more and talking less and sharing with patients some of the mindfulness messages I'd started incorporating into my own life. Enthusiasm and energy returned to my work. I could burn out way behind me. But then came a fateful staff meeting. I was accused by my peers of acting 
more like a psychologist than a PT and working outside my scope of practice. They said, I was spending too much time engaging patients in conversations that I was making them cry, and I was giving short shift to exercise instruction. In sum, they made me sound more like Dr. Phil than Dr. Prasad. But wait, I wasn't Dr. Prasad. In fact, I'd never even completed my master's degree. This rebuke from my colleagues hit me hard. It brought up self-doubt. I'd been trying to suppress for years. Not only did I have only a bachelor's degree, but I was a foreign-trained therapist. Maybe I wasn't quite as good as those native-born PTs. I was pretty new to pain science research, too. Had I been practicing appropriately? Might those colleagues be right? Soon after I learned that the patient whose son had committed suicide had complained about me to her regular PT, saying that she'd come to physical therapy for help with her back pain, not for help with her mental health. That made me feel even worse. For a time, feelings of inadequacy consumed me, but gradually I began to take a wider view. I might not always have incorporated my new ideas perfectly, but I was willing to concede, and I still had many things to learn. Learning is a lifelong process after all, but I was confident that I was on the right track. I ended up leaving the job and moving to a hospital that was much more in line with my views on the biopsychosocial nature of pain. I'm still there. I now teach a group class for patients that's called MAPS, Movement, Mindfulness, and Pain Science. It incorporates movement elements that are meaningful yet playful, including dance, tai chi, and yoga. We include meditation and share pain science insights. It is presented at a fifth grade literacy level to ensure that these important health literacy concepts are lost on no one. I am deeply involved with the Oregon Pain Science Alliance, which brings together providers and community members for pain awareness. I've helped organize two statewide pain summits that convene local PTs, physicians, occupational therapists, and other medical professionals. I secured a grant from Medicaid to train local high school teachers about opioid abuse, pain science, and self-care skills. The Oregon Physical Abuse Association presented me with the Regional Excellence Award for my work on persistent pain education. And something else happened a few months ago. I completed my Doctor of Physical Therapy degree. So now, I really am Dr. Prasad. I've also become certified as a therapeutic pain specialist by Evidence in Motion. If I can offer my colleagues just one piece of advice, it's this. First, be sure that you understand how your own pain is constructed. 
only then can you best treat your patient's pain. Gaining that understanding absolutely changed my life. This has been an APTA podcast. APTA members can access the latest podcasts and transcripts at www.apta.org podcast.